what we believe to be true is uh, the church is doing so many things well, but they aren't doing um, a lot well when it comes to sex and identity and, um, you know, those kinds of issues. Even when it, I mean, we're not just dealing with LGBT issues as a, as a ministry by far. We're talking about pornography addiction and fornication and, and you know, um, adultery. To me, it's sort of sweeping the evangelical church by storm. I mean, a lot of uh, pastors, Christian leaders, churches are, um, are, are beginning to embrace that perspective of celibate gay Christianity. It is an easy narrative to embrace uh, without the cost of kind of all the blood and mess that comes with. To think that the cross of Jesus couldn't help us make peace with that mm -hmm. and to live out 1 Corinthians 6, such for some of you, is to deny something of the power of the gospel. follower of Jesus for about 25 years, been married for 20 years, have four boys, 17 to 11, and I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Church in the south suburbs, southwest suburbs of Chicago. Mm. I, uh, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, it was a bit uh, dysfunctional. My, my father was a good man, but always struggled with addiction and infidelity and really could never it was never really present um in the home though we had you know we had a safe home and it was secure and we always had a roof over our head and food and all the things that i'm very grateful for mm -hmm. my mother was an amazing person who uh had gone through so much in her life that um she really did the best she could and uh, she was always faithful to the Lord to the degree that she could be, and I'm um, very thankful for her. Uh, when I was about uh, 14 or 15, I was uh, pursued and abused by an adult several years older than me, a man, and I'm not sure if that was the, you know, the, the moment of the you know, the, the stirrings of same-sex attraction or mm. if they were already there. But uh, it did begin a journey in which I became split personality-wise, where in one sense, you know, I went to a Christian school, I went to church, uh, I was, you know, smart, winsome, and um, seemingly fairly faithful. And then the cultivation of this shadow and uh, the shadow that really this man created and that I uh, embraced. Mm -hmm. And over uh, the next couple of years, uh, the shadow grew and uh, it, it became really the dominant place in which I sought to find my identity and who I was. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Southern California and this was in the early 90s and uh, just tons of sexual encounters with with men, um, and then the uh, 
I really couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it in my soul, the split, uh, and just the sense of uh, deep shame and hating, hating that this was true. And so I was at once repelled and engrossed by this shadow. Mm-hmm. So I began to use drugs and alcohol, and uh, that had the, uh, the benefit of numbing my soul. It also uh, propelled me deeper into shadows. And so really, I would say from the time I was you know, first sexually abused until the Lord found me at the age of 21, I just spiraled. Um, I did a lifetime of debauchery and sin and, you know, five or six years. And um, it was horrible and wonderful. It was alluring and horrendous. Mm. And um, towards the end, it was just, I was falling apart just internally in my soul. I was burying it in my body. Um, and uh, I have two memories. One you know, who knows if it was drug induced or my personality was breaking, but I had this, I was in somebody's house and it was after a drug vendor and I'm laying in somebody's bed. I'm looking up at the ceiling and I see this demon. I don't know, you know, if I knew that, or it was probably that good Christian education. <laughs> right. Um, it was laughing and I, and I was like, why are you laughing? Mm. And uh, it just said, you're bound. And that's what I was. I was bound. I was bound by this shadow, by this, by these chains that were put on me by somebody else and my own choices. And, um, and yet there was a part of me that would continually cry out to the Lord. And, you know, no one really knew, um, except on the edges, just the chaos of addiction and just the way in which I, you know, hurt people. And uh, used them, but in the sense of what was really going on, no one knew. The Lord knew. And in June of 1997, I was in my parents' garage, and I hadn't slept in several days. And I was coming down off of crystal meth, and uh, the Lord met me there. And it was, you know, one of the most profound moments of my life. And you know, he didn't visibly show up, but he spoke as clearly as he ever has to me. Mm. And uh, he said, today you choose between life and death. And I just saw, I saw death so clearly, you know, whatever death was going to be, it was going to be horrible. And for the first time in many years, my conscience awoke and I began to weep. And I saw where I was, where I was going, what I'd become. And, uh, I cried out to the Lord, and uh, I had a friend who was a pastor, uh, Charlie Contreras, and I called him weekend and said, I'm done. I said I was done about a million times before, and, you know, at most, you know, a couple times it lasted a month, six weeks. But there was something fundamentally shifting in me, Mm. um, something just so desperate for life, to live in the light. To uh, even though I didn't believe it, I did believe it that maybe the Lord had something to say, something to do in me. I was so conflicted and broken and hungry and desperate. And uh, during that summer in 1997, I began to, um, I got sober fairly quickly from drugs and alcohol. And, uh, 
the Lord just began to meet me. And I was part of a wonderful church in Southern California. And uh, my friends that I met there and began to go to a young adult Bible study. And there was nothing. I had nothing. Uh, my, I was broken in every way. And um, the Lord just began to restore me. And that's been the, the reason I'm still a Christian 25 years later, is that Jesus has again and again broken on my behalf. Mm. I don't know. I don't understand why. Um, except that um, I've come to expect that God is on my side, that I'm his friend. And uh, over that, the first five years, uh, you know, I was able to uh, uh, experience not just sobriety and purity, but transformation. So that, um, you know, a few years in, still dealing with pornography and just, you know, bound to some degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just remember the summer uh, that it broke and it broke uh, because instead of, you know, just trying to draw some moral lines for the sake of health, uh, I slowly was becoming the kind of person in which I didn't want to look at pornography anymore. I didn't want to be bound in the way that I was bound anymore. And uh, I found something more vital, something more alive than, than pornography could give me. And that was real people and real relationships. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, the Lord freed me. And, um, and that's been my, uh, you know, we both, our friend Andy Comiskey, he's the most disciplined person I've ever met in my life. Yes. It's like if that was the road that we all had to walk, then I wouldn't be a Christian. Mm -hmm. I would find another thing to do. And uh, the reason I have any discipline or order in my life is because of the grace and goodness of Jesus that woos me into uh, repentance and uh, gives me the steps to, to follow him. And uh, so, you know, as I... As I began to stand, I uh, met my wife, and we, uh, she was the church receptionist, and I made my move and uh, caught her, and uh, we got married, and um, fairly early on, you know, I graduated from college. I had, um, was working at a mutual funds company, and very early on, you know, the Lord began to stirring me and open doors for ministry. I never, you know, in one sense, I always thought about, you know, leading a church or planning a church, but on the other hand, um, there's a deep part of me that just wants to live a quiet life and be, you know, just do quiet things. And uh, the Lord, you know, he opened doors that uh, led another way. And so I first worked at Desert Stream, I was very thankful for that. I love Andy and Andy and Annette so dearly. Mm -hmm. uh, still, some of the best friends uh, that I have, and um, and then after that, I be, uh, I really felt called to the church, and uh, I became a, an associate pastor at a large church in Indiana. I was there about eight or nine years, and got my master's in divinity during that time, and 
had four kids and tried to see if, you know, how real sturdy that soul <laughs> was. And we, uh, we made it and, uh, took a senior pastor position, uh, and where I'm at now, I've been here uh, on my 10th year now. And, uh, again, my, uh, uh, what I know more than anything else is that God intervenes Yes, and that uh, Jesus is good news and uh, he, he knows much better than I what will make me satisfied. And when I live into that and when I expect it from him, he has yet to fail me. And uh, yeah, 25 years in and uh, you know, I don't, I have vestiges of, you know, whispers of same-sex and then, mm-hmm. but I don't really, I don't really lust. I don't, I don't look at pornography. I don't struggle with like, oh my gosh, will I stay sober today? Mm-hmm. Um, by God's grace, you know, uh, not taking anything for granted. Uh, it's solid ground, and that solid ground enables me to raise boys in a really weird world, and to help them become men. Solid ground that enables me to be a good gift to my wife. Yes. Solid ground that enables me to walk with others that are sexually broken and to lead a church. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, God has been gracious to me, Gary. I, I love um, your story, Ron, and, and the story of your family. And it does, of course, I think when uh, whenever I hear someone's story, regardless of what it is, there's always some connect points, you know, is uh, all of our stories are unique from one another. And yet there, there can be a theme or two or more, uh, that, that feel very common and connecting, which is one of the values I think of sharing our true story. You know, we so often, um, if we share our, our quote unquote stories at all in the church, we, you know, we window dress them so much that they have very little, uh, recollection to what actually happened. Um, but it's when we, I think, get, get more, uh, transparent, more vulnerable that, uh, that we can really connect, I think more deeply at a heart level with one another and really support one another. And also it gives hope to those who are, who are currently, you know, like in their own mess and, and struggling. So I know that was true for, for me, when I got involved in a church and finally got into a men's group that um, was far from perfect, but it was it was the best. It was exactly where I needed to be. It was the last place on earth I wanted to be to begin with. Um, but I I love what you said too about being a father of boys. I mean, so I'm a father of two boys. You're a father of four, and um, it's just is so funny to me that uh, you know that me coming out of uh, the LGBT world and out of homosexuality and struggling with my own masculinity on such a deep level. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it almost seemed like um, God would have given me girls or something, but instead, uh, nope, he gives me boys. And, and, uh, and right. honestly, I, I couldn't be more thrilled and happy uh, to be their father. And, but it does, um, there's a, there's a, a benefit and a beauty in it in that it does, it calls me up even more, you know, in my own masculinity and in my uprightness before God as a man, uh, to, to be that good gift, as you mentioned, uh, you know, in my case to Melissa, um, but also striving to be, um, a good gift to my boys as well. Um, do you, um, I, I, I'd love to, how long were you at, uh, did you work for Desert Street Ministries? Uh, about two years. Okay. Okay. And I know you were really instrumental, or I think the primary one that wrote um, The Men Pursuing Purity. Uh, wasn't that um, uh, that booklet? 
It was. Okay. Yep. 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 Yeah. And, and I still, I mean, we still use that as a, as an eight week, uh, course. Um, uh, I think the electronic PDF is available for that too, but you also, um, have written, uh, I think co-authored and then wrote your own book. Could you just, um, uh, explain, um, each of those books a little bit, uh, in terms of, um, you know, why you wrote them and, and why, uh, they're beneficial. I mean, I've read them and think they're great, but what's your perspective on, on those books and who would benefit most? Well, I think they're wonderful too, Gary. I think, I think we agree. I think we found solid ground. Absolutely. From I, uh, uh, the first one is compassion without compromise. How to love your gay friends and grace and truth. And I think, um, the reason we, uh, my friend Adam Barr and I wrote that is, uh, for the most part, every person in whom, uh, follows Jesus, everybody who is just living in this world is facing a, a set of questions. You know, why, why does sex matter to Jesus? Yep. Why does, uh, what is God's intention around sexuality? Why is homosexuality not the best expression of, of human relationships? What does it look like to navigate family and friends who are, identify as gay or lesbian or transgender or, you know, any of the variety of letters that now exist. And uh, that's the reason we wrote that book. We're actually, we've been asked by uh, Bethany house to consider writing uh, kind of a, uh, a, uh, the next book in that same kind of genre uh, in light of, you know, things have changed so much in the last five or six years. And, um, but this is, um, yeah, I mean, it's one of, uh, there's still a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good in it for people who are just wanting to be good gifts to their sons and daughters and their neighbors and their parents. And then the second book is, uh, hope for the same sex attracted. And it really is for people who are struggling and, um, you know, there's so many great things out there that people have written. Uh, but, uh, the reason I wrote that was just as a way to give an alternative to, um, what is becoming the dominant movement within evangelicalism, which is, you know, uh, you know, I'm gay, I'm celibate. So I'm gay celibate man or woman. And that, you know, what I, what I hope for in life is, you know, maybe a good friend or something, but that there's no place for uh, for Christ's transformation in the places of our deepest, you know, um, deepest places of our personality and sexuality and emotions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I wrote that, and um, it's just an attempt to uh, give a hearing for uh, hope. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, and actually you brought up a point I wanted to ask you about as well. Um, and that is that, you know, I often, when I travel and speak and do conferences or whatever, uh, I often, uh, will, will bring along with me, um, Jason Thompson's, uh, uh, one page PDF on the f- kind of the four views of LGBT in the church. Um, 
just for the sake of some discussion, just for the sake of <clears throat> the, one of the things I think is so valuable about uh, that piece, and I know Jason meant it for discussion purposes, not necessarily to pigeonhole people into one place and kind of leave them there, but the idea of being able to um, kind of understand and have some categories of understanding uh, the, uh, the the kind of wide range of perspective within the church, everything from, you know, full-on pro-gay theology and the homosexual uh, union and acts are, uh, you know, are on par with heterosexuality, et cetera, to, uh, you know, all the way to the other end, which is where um, uh, Restored Hope Network, which our, mem- our ministry is a member of, um, and the two ministries I run, Transforming Congregations for the United Methodist Church and the and the Global Methodist Church now, but then also the one that Melissa and I founded, Love and Truth Network. That um, you know, we we would be in that in that far column to the right, which is more transformational ministry, believing that in transformational ministry not being oh the eradication of all temptation or struggle, but rather the ability to really um, uh, f- find um, new life in Christ and and believing that my identity is not in my sexual desires or my emotional desires, or but my identity really is rooted in who I am as a man made in God's image first and foremost, and then um, is in Christ. Um, D, I wonder, but one of those um, perspectives, one of those columns um, that Jason, um, uh, you know, put in that PDF is on celibate gay Christianity. And I often say, and, and you just mentioned it too, that it seems to be the one category that tends to kind of, it's, to me, it's sort of sweeping the evangelical church by storm. I mean, a lot of uh, pastors, Christian leaders, churches are, um, are are beginning to embrace that perspective of celibate gay Christianity. And of course, I have some thoughts about that that I, that I speak about, but I wonder, A, do you really, do you feel like kind of out of the the main categories that that are on that PDF is that the one that you kind of also see as one that a lot of churches are uh, even uh, good solid biblical churches are grasping hold of um, out of maybe some confusion and uh, yeah and I'll ask us a follow up to that in a minute. <clears throat> yeah, I do. I think um, it solves a lot of problems for uh, for church. One is that. Um, there's been an alignment of, you know, quackery with transformation. Yep. And so that coupling, which is, you know, pretty smart political move on our friends who are, you know, who see it as unbiblical or, you know, who desire for the full embrace of the gay identity mm-hmm. in the church. Uh, it's easy. It makes it's easier for a pastor to say, you know what? Um, yeah, that's weird. That's weird. We don't want to be weird. You know, it concocts images in the mind of, you know, shock treatments and weird holding sessions and, and who want, you know, no one wants to be a part of that. Right. And so it solves the problem. I was like, no, you know, you got, you know, you come as you are and you're holding to a faithful ethic that the Bible gives, but there is something here that's good. And we want to embrace the good while holding to a Christian ethic. And I think that is, um, um, it, it, it is a, uh, it is an easy narrative to embrace, uh, without the cost of kind of all the blood and mess that comes with, um, even thinking, well, could God do any, is that, 
God's best in a person's life. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, to me, it, it, it relegates the idea that as long as we are not acting out sexually as long or, or people are not acting out sexually, then, then, um, as if, as if that alone is the highest call. And, and what I often talk about is that what we believe our identity to be actually is more foundational and formational to what we, to what we, um, uh, think what we feel, what we, uh, what oftentimes leads to action. Uh, Melissa and I have known people that, you know, landed firmly in the, um, in the, uh, celibate gay camp that, um, you know, after, and that, and it felt good to them to be there, uh, to be able to identify according to the way they felt, but then, uh, you know, obey the, the tenets of scripture around sexual act, uh, behavior. Um, and, and, and they just believed that they'd be celibate because they didn't have any attraction to the opposite sex at that point. And then they met somebody, um, which is oftentimes, um, I think highly promoted in the celibate gay Christian world too. this idea of so-called spiritual friendships, which the name, I love the, I love the title of that. I think that's wonderful. Spiritual friendship sounds really good, but it winds up from my understanding of it and what I've read, um, it winds up being almost like, um, you know, marriage without the sex. It, it winds up being these, the, this coupling of a union between two people of the same sex, uh, and, and emotionally, romantically, you know, pretty much everything that a married couple would experience would be allowed except the sex, which to me is just this, um, would, would absolutely be, uh, you know, futility. There's no way that I could engage in that kind of relationship, uh, without crossing those boundaries. And so we've known people that have, uh, that after a period of time have left that arena and gone back, you know, gone into, um, uh, basically the, uh, pro-gay theology, uh, perspective and gotten married or whatever to some of the same gender. So I just, um, I feel like so often in the church or when, when people embrace celibate gay Christianity, um, it, it, it does have a veneer of looking good and there are some good things about it. There's a lot of things I agree with the authors and the writers, and the teachers. Um, but, but the prescription or the, the, um, the treatment, I guess, or the not treatment, that's not the right word, but the, the, what they propose to be a good solution in the end, I, I feel like minimizes all that God wants to do and desires to do in us as sons and daughters. Um, and be, the, the more that he leads us into to become um, solid men and women, whether we go on to get married to the opposite gender or we remain single, there's still something about our becoming um, as men and women that I think is so important that I believe gets circumvented um, by this insistence on owning a label that if we were to act on would be sin. Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, Wesley Hill is who I'm most familiar with, and yeah. I like Wesley Hill. Yeah. He's uh, our one of our uh, seminaries that we're associated with. He was hired there, and um, I think he's bright and brilliant. I think he is a friend of of the gospel. Mm -hmm. I think uh, if you read his book, though, um, and you see in the ways in which he talks about friendships in which he has been connected to, I read and go, "Oh, buddy, um, that." <laughs> That would, uh, that's not, that's not God's best. Right. That's, you are, you are hungry for something that that's never going to give you. And, uh, it, you know, he might be able to hold his ethics and, um, praise God for that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I think exactly what you say. I think 
for many people, it will, um, it's too near a step to monogamous same-sex relationships. Right. Uh, and, you know, we, we, you know, just, uh, well, that's, you know, that's what, you know, that's not God's best, but it's not, you know. Uh, well, and what's so interesting about it is that the whole premise of gay Christian is, you know, exactly um, the opposite of what you said, which is, hey, you know, I have these feelings and um, uh, those feelings mean something that are, you know, they would say that are good. There's good in there. And, um, uh, and you know, I would say, and I think you would say is that um, the Bible doesn't talk about, actually never talks about heterosexuality in the sense that we talk about it today or yeah. homosexuality. It talks about our bodies and it talks that man is for woman and woman is for man. And that is our sexual identity. There's, there's no other conversation and we make peace with that or not. And to think that the cross of Jesus couldn't help us make peace with that mm -hmm. and to live out first Corinthians six, such for some of you um, is, uh, is to deny something of the power of the gospel and just is so unfortunate because I think we, in the time in which the good news of Jesus is most needed, uh, we have lost the story that makes it most relevant. Yeah. And uh, that's sad. Yes. Yes. You know, I hadn't even thought about um, asking you this until now, but, uh, and whether we keep this or not, um, I I'm curious about uh, if you have thoughts about the um, the revival that is is being um, purported, um, you know, obviously. Yeah, in different I think it's so. I mean, I think it's so sweet. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I know nothing about it except what I read, and uh, I know some people have gone down there. Um, I think it's sweet. I'm uh, so thankful mm -hmm. for any way in which uh, men and women, especially young adults, are seeking and finding the Lord yep, and, um, and how, even how the school is handling it in a way that, um, is contrary to, you know, let's sell tickets. And, uh, I think that's what we need. We all need, uh, to encounter the Lord in such a way that our heart is softened yeah, and we turn towards him and we lay down lesser things. And, uh, yeah. And I think that's exactly mm -hmm. how God moves. He moves in a group that, you know, how many people have been praying for revival? It's like, well, do you remember our house, Lord? Do you need the address? Yes. And, um, but that's the way he does. He doesn't, you know, there's no formula to it. Right. And who knows what it becomes, but it seems to be spreading to other schools and, um, we need it. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. It's true. What are, Ron, what are you, um, uh, how are you trying to let me let me ask it this way i guess in you know i love the church god rescued me through the church my, my wife as well um i mean i believe that god that the church is god's plan a for the world that i i don't believe that as one who started and runs a parachurch ministry like we aren't the answer by any stretch of the, of the, of the uh, you know, by any idea, but we are, um, but we want to strengthen the church. We want to bless pastors. We want to bless Christian leaders. We want to, in, in what God has given us, we want to offer back to the church. And, and uh, you know, in light of that idea um, and also what we believe to be true is 
the church is doing so many things well, but they aren't doing um, a lot well when it comes to sex and identity and, um, you know, those kinds of issues, even when it, I mean, we're not just dealing with LGBT issues as a, as a ministry by far, we're talking about pornography addiction and fornication and, and, you know, um, adultery. Of course, I think, um, pansexuality or not pansexuality, that polyamory is going to become a much, much bigger uh, thing that we're going to be looking at in the church as well. So, um, you know, in light of that interest that we have as a ministry, I would love to hear kind of your perspective on on kind of where you see the church as a whole in terms of being, um, you know, well-equipped or not so much, um, and, and how you're kind of uh, uh, navigating your church um, to be a place that is, we often use the, the, the idea of safe, but also transformational. We want both of those things. Um, and, and again, the reason we named our ministry love and truth network is because if you, you know, if you pull one out of the other, if you take truth away from love, it's really, it's no longer love. Actually, it might feel kind of like a smarmy sort of, or, or in the moment it might feel nice and loving and affirming, but in the end it leaves us without the truth, which isn't love. And then if you pull love out of truth and it's just this, you know, thumping legalistic, um, uh, you know, uh, truth rant. Um, what are your perspectives and how do you see, where do you see the church and what do you feel like your God's called you to do to make changes in your own congregation? Yeah, I think, uh, overall, uh, I think very few churches have been able to, uh, to create a space for, I was talking to a young man, I call it the old magic. And uh, uh, the, the idea that there is, uh, there is a power and there is a, uh, a, you know, a king who can do amazing things. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, you know, it has to do with, of course, sexuality, but, um, I think the church in many ways has lost uh, the ability to create spaces in which people can be themselves. Uh, you know, there is no transformation without reality right. and reality requires trust and safety and risk. And then something has to happen. It can't just be, you know, blah. you know, uh, I know a lot of people who do that who speak very truthfully about themselves and pagan yeah. relationships right uh but you know they just they, they feel accepted but there is no there is no pathway in which you can become something different and uh that's really uh, my whole uh, everything that i do for the last since i've been a leader is how do i create spaces that one is enable people to be themselves uh laying down the facade of religion or professional you know we upper middle class or middle class church professionals, uh, successful people, you know, these people, you know, it's not, they're not falling over to, they're not cracked at the seams at every level. They seem professional, but in truth, uh, the same level of brokenness as every other area of human life yep. or strata of society. And can we be honest and can we be honest with one another? And then, um, can we uh, enter into spaces for healing and so or transformation? And so that's what I try to do. I don't know how successful I am, but um, we, you know, just again and again, uh, the kingdom is here. 
the kingdom of God changes everything, and anyone who's in that kingdom will experience power and authority and transformation that changes everything, mm-hmm. including one's sexuality and their bent. And uh, and then you know, I uh, uh, as doors open, I you know, I go to churches and speak when I'm asked to, and um, I primarily feel called to my church and to uh, to my congregation, but. Um, I write and uh, as opportunities arise and speak and uh, talk to friends like you mm-hmm. and uh, just trying to uh, be faithful and to be uh, authentic about my own journey. And I, uh, I try to make a space in which um, people can follow after me to Jesus uh, that it's okay. You can, you can be who you are with what you're dealing with and what is, and Jesus is King. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I have numerous examples throughout my time here, people who have taken me up on my offer, you know, from millionaires to college kids to, you know, perfect little couples with deep, dark secrets yep. to uh, those who've been ostracized. And um, uh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love it a lot. What would you say to um, to pastors watching this? You know, if a pastor is watching, and and I know they can, every pastor is going to be coming from a different perspective. Uh, they're from their own personal background. Everything from you know maybe dealing with their own current porn addiction, or maybe a former addiction uh, or use, um, maybe some other area of struggle, substance, uh, um, emotional dependency, um, you know, whatever, um, whatever the case could be, um, and. So they they're they're listening to this, watching this from their own personal perspective, but then also is they're you know in leadership and and trying I think oftentimes to navigate um, navigate the the sense of expectations that have been put on them maybe by the by the elder board or however the church is governed. Uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to try to navigate there I think. Um, but what would you what would you say to pastors? who do recognize, um, uh, a, their own personal need, um, for, for deeper, uh, deeper life in Christ, deeper freedom from the things that so easily entangle us as Hebrews says. Um, but also, uh, in terms of leading a congregation, they have a heart, uh, to, to shepherd and to, uh, guide, um, you know, those in their care, uh, what would you say to, to them in those two perspectives, personal and more corporate? Yeah, I think uh, three things. One is that uh, to the degree that you as a pastor uh, go on your own journey uh, in appropriate ways uh, with people you trust uh, will be the degree in which your church can experience and have wells of mercy. Mm. Uh, if you're not willing to find them or risk to get them, uh, then uh, those wells are stopped up by you. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, I see with people is, um, you know, no pastor wants their ministry to be a job. But when push comes to shove, sometimes it's like, well, I'm afraid of what will happen to my job. Right. Well, um, there's no job that's worth, you know, the hell of no water, you know. And so um, that, you know, just the grace of knowing that Jesus got you here, he can get you through it. And, um, 
and you know, if you don't have people around you, you can take good steps of reaching out to people like Gary and um, to find a way to give voice to what's happening and to believe that God has a way for you. And um, that's, that's good news. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the big blowups of moral failing that we see, um, they happen not because, you know, they did everything they could to find mercy and just couldn't find it. It's that in the places in which God was willing and ready to give mercy without blowing up the whole thing, uh, they didn't take it yep. because they were afraid or ashamed. Um, and then I think uh, that God will give pastors. Uh, we have to be very mindful of the broken around us who set up appointments to talk and uh, who interact with us on Sunday mornings. I'm always on the lookout. And um, I think every pastor should have one or two or three, uh, whether it's, you know, somebody dealing with same-sex attraction or drugs or pornography or, you know, something that is a mess. Mm -hmm. And to be with somebody in that, to cultivate a well. And as they get better, they should be sent out to minister and to, um, to cultivate wells of their own. And then I think that's where ministries like yours, Gary, really matter. Uh, you know, not every, you know, we're all broken, but some of us quite, you know, more broken than others. And for some pastors, like, I don't, you know, I want to have a healing space. I want people to drink deeply from the well, but I don't quite have the experience, or knowledge, or I don't personally understand it. Well, that's where ministries like Gary's are fundamentally important because uh, they help us uh, create what is necessary uh, with people who understand it and who are who are wise and who have the history of redemption behind them and they can be trusted and help us create what we maybe couldn't do on our own. And that's a great gift of the world we live in today. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, um, what's, what's a way that pastors or others that are interested, maybe, uh, maybe after reading your book or, um, or books or, um, you know, just out of, maybe they've not done any of that, but they hear you and they resonate with what you're saying and they would love to contact you. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Certainly go to my website, uh, Ron Sitlau, R-O-N-C-I-T-L-A-U.com. And you can contact me through that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Anything, uh, any remaining things uh, around at all that are on your heart that you would want to say? No, I'm so thankful for you, Gary. And um, what I know is true is that there are countless people who have been touched by Jesus and his gospel who are quietly living their lives of holiness and, uh, you know, living lives of fearing the Lord and, and finding the wide open spaces of grace. And it just isn't true that we don't exist and that God isn't doing it. Uh, God keeps moving, whether it gets on the news or not. Yes. And uh, whether, you know, he has allies in every evangelical organization or not. And so um, have hope, everyone who needs hope and be encouraged. It's good news. And every person who takes Jesus up on his offer becomes a living epistle of what the gospel does. Yes. And um, we need you. We need your life, not just your politics or your theology, but your life. Yes. 
is your life is a witness to what Jesus is doing. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, thanks, Ron. I so appreciate you being willing to join us and uh, appreciate your wisdom and just being uh, vulnerable and transparent. I love what you said earlier about, um, uh, you talked about reality, you know, change change happens in the context of reality. Uh, our transformation uh, doesn't happen outside of the context of reality. So such, uh, such an important uh, thing to remember. We can't just bring you know, 20% of us or 25% or 50% or even 80% of us, uh, you know, to into the into the light, we need to bring the whole thing, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and that's where Jesus meets us is when we have that, that open and full offering. So, all right, we'll bless you. Bless you, brother. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.